Don't throw the things that are holy to the dogs. And we'll discuss that, of how we're to live to keep from doing this kind of stuff. Because it's a commandment from God that we need to be where we need to be as his children. Our first, our first and one of fifth of five scriptures is in Acts chapter 34. Acts chapter 24. Did I say 34? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. They've got Paul before a group of people who are trying to find him guilty of sin. And he's making his little intro speech to these guys. And he says in verse 16, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. So he has made a commitment to himself not to offend his conscience or to offend other men's conscience. And we'll look at that connection as we go. So we understand that because of what he said, that the Holy Spirit and the conscience, which we looked at before, seem to be connected to keep believers from offense to God. So it seems if a believer satisfies his conscience, he also satisfies God, the Holy Spirit of God. That brings peace, as we've said before. You satisfy your conscience and God, you've got peace. Because the conscience is what if you do something that is not approving of God, you don't have peace. So it produces peace. And it produces guilt if you fail your conscience because after you're saved, your conscience is cleaned up, we'll see later, by the Holy Spirit. So your Holy Spirit, when it comes into you at salvation, starts working on your conscience to make it a Christ-like conscience. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more shall Jesus purge your conscience or clean up your conscience from dead works to serve the 
living God. In other words, the Holy Spirit starts to work on our conscience when we're saved to keep us from doing things that God doesn't approve of, haven't called us to do, and we won't get a reward for. To start doing the things that God calls us to do, approves of our doing, and our conscience is approved of also. Now in Numbers, if you'll turn there please, chapter 14, there is a principle in God's Word that I have attempted to get right in my mind for a long time. I happened to do it yesterday studying for my sermon. I've always wondered why God said this. Because the idea I had from the scriptures in the past was that God didn't whip the cow because the calf got out, as Daddy used to say. He put the penalty where the penalty belonged. If the cow got out and she needed punishment, he punished her. He didn't punish her calf, or if the calf, either way. And that was his way of dealing with us. He says in Numbers chapter 14 and verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and the fourth generation. Now, I've, the only people who have ever talked to me about this issue right here was people mostly who are dead now but were old when I was young. That was big with them. And they told me and taught me that the sins of the fathers, God saw to it that they were carried on to the children. But I've since learned some other stuff. If you've got a father who has a clear conscience about lying, the children are going to lie too. Anything the father and the mother have a clear conscience about, as far as the kids are concerned, they'll have a clear conscience about it too. I can remember my dad telling me one time when I found a nickel on the corner of a coffee table, and I picked it up, and I said, goody, goody. And I was a little bitty. And he said, look, boy, don't ever pick up any coin off of anybody's coffee table except your own. They're not going to say anything and embarrass you because of a nickel. But when they lose a $20 bill, you're the first face that comes in their mind because you've already established yourself as a thief. That was where I got my lesson for that kind of stuff. And after that, I wouldn't pick up a nickel nowhere unless it was on the street. But it says here that God will see to it by visiting the sins of the Father 
on down the line to the children to the third and fourth generations. I got to seeing that train or chain of sin broken by people whose parents died and they got to live with much better parents. And if a, a, a lost person's kids got to where they had to be put out, it's happened right here in the family that surrounds this church, that they got to live with people who were Christians and taught them to have a good Christian conscience. So I wondered if that's the case, what's going on here? Well, there is a word called palkad in the Hebrew. And what it means is what the word was used to write this particular scripture. Visiting is the word palkad. And that word is a word that has a paragraph as a definition in the, 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 the concordance because it means so many things. And several of those words in that definition are contradictory to each other. So the two words that I came up that would apply to this particular situation was the words miss and punish. Now, do they miss the punishment or do they get the punishment? Have they done something bad or have they done something good? Of these two words, I chose they miss punishment. Now they say in our time and whatever that a nut don't fall far from the tree. That's what the average expression is. The old folk when folks act just like their daddy. But it says you don't have to turn there. But I found the answer in another piece of scripture. But the definition that I chose to use was the miss because it says in Proverbs 29.15 if we can turn there Proverbs 29.15 says the rod and reproof in other words scolding and spanking give wisdom but a child left to himself bringeth his mother to shame. 
See, we've got kids coming in. David said in chapter 51 of Psalms in verse 5, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So here's the thing. The Bible says in two places, and I know of about six more, that it says these bubbling little babies you get all wrapped up in the blankets and everything are little sinners. They're unsaved. They don't have a, a Holy Spirit in them to tell them to do the right thing. So it's left up to us. That scripture that says, left to himself, a child left to himself, in other words, that definition of that expression is in his present condition. So what we've got here, you get a child. That child is prone to sin. And your job is to change that child from a sinner to a non-sinner. You have no control over when he gets to be a Christian. But if you do your part to change him from a sinner to a non-sinner, he knows how to live when he gets to be a Christian. So that's our job. We were born in iniquity, an enemy of God. And our job as parents or as guardians is to see to it that that child quits sinning and becomes as non-sinner as he can be not having the Holy Spirit. That's the reason it says when we believe in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes in there and starts teaching that child's conscience to be what it ought to be, which is what we've been supposed to be doing all along. I have seen so many that have this attitude of, of pacifism and letting that part of their training go bad until a child gets big enough and mean enough that he can do some real damage. I've had mothers tell me I can't spank my child because I want to be his friend. And I've told them, you can't be his friend, you got to be his mama. And that keeps you from being his friend because some things you're going to have to do as a mama is not going to be friendly. And I asked him this question. When he gets, especially for short ladies, I said, when he gets 13, 14, 15 years old and he's looking you straight in the eye and he's bigger and stronger than you are and he looks you straight in the face and says, no, I'm not going to do it. What are you going to do then? That goes, I think, also for mamas that won't let husbands Spank, because I think husbands, just by their nature, are much more ready to spank a young and that's this, this becoming a nuisance than women are, than the mothers are. The thing you need to think about 
if you've had children, when they're small, nobody had to teach them to sin. They do that automatically. They get into it all the time. Nobody has to teach a small child to sin because it's his nature to sin and to do the wrong thing. Children pick up bad behavior from other kids, but not many would intentionally teach a child to sin. They don't think they're doing it. We get right back to what the conscience of the parents is, will put up with. The child will usually do the same thing because he won't get punished for it because they think it's all right anyhow. Not many people use what God thinks is sin to define what sin is in their family. Teach a child to sin. Not many would do that. Got a little short story that happened when Austin Hall killed or killed one deputy and shot another one in in. In, in Bibb County. His half-brother called my daughter. My daughter taught all of them. And he called my daughter and she said, I want to know what's going on. He said, well, Austin started this misbehaving and bad behavior several years ago. And his parents wouldn't do anything about it. His school teachers couldn't do anything about it. And when he got in trouble, the police didn't do anything about it. He'd go to court, they'd turn him loose, right back out on the streets. They didn't even slap his hand. So they figured, his half-brothers, I think there are three of them, said that, that the reason that he is like he is, he's a product of the local judicial system. He's been before judges, I understand. He's been caught with a criminal problem 40 times. He's had 40 chances for somebody to turn him around, and nobody did. They turned him loose. And you see what happened because of it. People who know that the conscience brings guilt would avoid offending consciences so as not to offend the Holy Spirit of God. Your conscience is the guideline or the guide in so many cases of when you pray for the Lord for guidance. It's the conscience that has been trained by the Holy Spirit that steps in and stops you. We have stopped punishing kids for sin. And some of them probably don't have a conscience toward sin anyhow. So they've got nothing there to stop them. They don't have Jesus. Holy Spirit can't stop them. 
their conscience can't stop them because you see in the absence of the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ, the only thing they've got is people who are in authority over them. And in our society, it should be every time you turn around. But what have we done with the people in authority over us? We've cut their salaries. We've not backed them up. They are retiring by the thousands across this United States. And in places where they've gotten really short, there's sin, there's rights, there's looting, and all this. So let me say to you, in this same subject, in Matthew chapter 7, In verse 6, I'm going to brag on you a little bit again. There is something you've got to know that you are what the Bible says are the most special people on the face of this earth. You've got something that people who are not Christians do not have. And that's the reason the world always turns towards sin. It's because they don't have Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So, Jesus himself, I know because it's in red letters, <laughs> said that you don't need to throw what you've got to people who don't deserve it. How many times as we as Christians get around Christians, live with Christians, in the house with Christians, we go to thinking that everybody around us is a Christian. And we hit people with Jesus Christ. Well, there's some people here, Jesus said, we're not to hit with him. And in verse 6, chapter 6, uh, chapter 7, and verse 6, Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Now let me explain something. What the Bible calls that which is holy is a person or a thing that is set apart for God. It's like Grandma used to have her really good china. She didn't use it every day because some of these big-fingered guys would break it off. So she used her everyday china except there was a special occasion and when it came out because it was special and it was set apart because it was set special. My personal opinion is today that too many of God's born-again believer children are treating their salvation with not enough respect. I think the, pre the problem across the United States today in general with believers and heathens is that there's not enough respect. And he says, respect what you have so much that you don't waste it on people who don't deserve it. 
Give not that which is holy unto the dogs, neither cast ye your pearls before swine. He's making some extreme analogies here. Don't take your pearls, which would be the most expensive thing most anybody of that day that would have, and chunk them in the pen with the hogs. They're just going to step on them because they have no respect for them whatsoever. What's a pearl? You can't eat it. It's like a rock. So don't cast what God has given to you as a pearl. Don't cast that in the hog pen because they'll trample it in the ground and then turn around and tear you into pieces, what it says. Look. Don't cast your pearls before swine lest they trample them under their feet and turn again and rend or tear apart you. They don't appreciate it at all. So that brings another little part of the message. But how do I know? You bestow the special gifts that you have on people who have not told you that, that they're not Christians. They haven't told you they don't want any part of Jesus. Jesus said in another sermon five or six weeks ago that if you come to a place and they don't respect who you are, you go to the edge of that town and shake that dust of that town off your feet and walk away as a testimony against them and God will see to it they wind up where they're supposed to. That seems harsh, but that's the way God sees it. In other words, the worst thing that you can do from God's standpoint is to turn him down. Don't throw what you have in Jesus to people who have already proven they don't want it. They have no respect for things holy that are set apart. Now I said things are people that are set apart and things that are set apart. Inanimate objects. We need to understand when it talks about setting apart inanimate objects, it does not imply that they have any moral standing. They're just things that are being used by people who have been set apart. There's nothing holy about a plate or a teacup or whatever or anything you have that you're keeping out of the the ordinary day, because it's special. And what I learned that showed me the definition of that term a while ago about God is seeing to it that the sins of the fathers would pass on to the children. I think it's the most natural thing in the world for a child to act like his parent. Now, if parents are not right, you can talk to them and get them right, and they'll see to it that their kids have the same conscience about things that they do. 
Because over in, and you, you define words or actions in Scripture by looking at other Scripture. And I found a verse in Exodus 25 that to visit the iniquity to the fourth, third, and fourth generation, God says, of them who hate me. So now we've got an idea what was going on. And it really can apply to either one of these definitions, either to miss penalty or to accept penalty, deserve penalty, and get it. Because he makes a differentiation, God does. He says that sin that your dad has will come on you unless you hate me. So for people who don't hate God, the sin doesn't transfer from their parents. Those who do hate God, the kids grow up to live pretty much just like their parents did. And we've all seen that. We have. We can think of somebody now that's like that. So it's not Christian children that are going to have to suffer for this. So this makes the understanding what word in an extensive definition with maybe 15 corresponding words or words that, that are the opposite of other words. So which way this thing was used, the word was used visiting for all different kind of situations. And we chased it down to what we understand God was trying to say. If you've got Christian children, they won't result in being sinners like their father was. So we've seen that the old folks that I knew, that talked about, and, and they said it, when a child makes a mistake, when a teenager makes a mistake, when a young man makes a mistake, they say he's just like his daddy. Not if he's a Christian's child, he won't be. So that, that explanation should not be used in today's world. Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for explaining what I tried to get in my head for so long and other folks did too. That as far as Christians go, you do not impose the sin of the fathers on the, other, the, the next generations down to the third and fourth and we thank you for that. So Lord, let's admire people who are saved later on and turn around and try to change their children because they didn't have advantage of the Holy Spirit of God guiding their parents when they were at home. So Lord, we thank you for this, for this knowledge 
and we thank you for clearing up what a lot of people have said is going to happen. So, Father, thank you today. We praise you for opening our eyes to this situation at any rate. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.